The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. Without further ado, let's get on to part two. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Retire with Style. This is a special Friday edition that we're doing over the summer. I'm Wade. Again, uh, this week, we are not joined by Alex. He's on a family vacation. But I am joined uh, as a part two, continuing the conversation with Jason Rizkala and Brian Bass, both of whom are financial planners at McLean Asset Management. Thanks so much, guys, for coming back for a second episode, because there's so much to unpack with what we were talking about, and we want to continue that conversation. Thank you, Wade. Yeah, and we, we miss Alex. We don't have the uh, small talk portion of the episode, but we, we've got so much content that <laughs> we'll just fly through that and, and, and dig in. So on the last, uh, previously on Retire with Style, <laughs> we were talking about variable annuities. And we're in this episode, we're talking about illustrations and then contracts. We're still talking about the illustrations on the variable annuities. It's could be a 15 page long document, approximately depending on the company and may show multiple return scenarios. But it's the, the idea of the illustration is it's meant to show you how the product well would perform if you got the returns shown in the illustration. But it's more an example of how the product could reform uh, perform in practice. So we talked about uh, the returns are going to be shown somewhere, and you both suggested uh, focusing more on a, a lower return number that doesn't necessarily lead to any step-ups in the contract. And so you see what the minimum guaranteed amounts are, but you've got the uh, some return numbers, and then you have the evolution of the contract value, which is how the contract's value will evolve with those returns but then with fees taken out, net of the fees, and also net of any distributions that you take. And we talked about how the uh, the withdrawal value of the contract could be less, and that would be if you decide to end the contract, not keep it over the long term, there may be a, with, with a surrender charge, and possibly in a VA, but more so in the fixed index annuity that we'll talk about today. There could be a, a market value adjustment. And that really brings us up to speed. So to continue the conversation from there, the other types of columns that you'll generally see in an illustration, there's going to be some that relate to showing what the benefit base is. And that's the, referring back to past episodes, the hypothetical value used to calculate the allowed guaranteed income from the contract. And then there'll be some columns showing what the, uh, the income is. So starting with the benefit base, uh, Brian, or no, let's go with Jason, because I think Brian had a good point to make about the withdrawals that we were talking about. So with the benefit base, Jason, what's going on with that number? How might that increase sure. over time? How might it not increase? What do you want to be looking at in an illustration with the benefit base? Absolutely. So if you have a an income rider on your contract, you're going <laughs> to see something like an income benefit base associated with it. And really what that is, is that's the figure that your future income check will be based off of. Not necessarily your account value, but the income benefit base is what your check is going to be based off of um, when you decide to start it. Now, if you've elected an income rider, uh, typically with that, there comes a uh, step up in your basis, in your income base that occurs, uh, and usually on an annual basis. Um and, what, and that's a minimum amount that they're going to credit to that particular value within your contract. It has and, nothing and with to do the, with... In past episodes, what you're referring to now, we call the roll-up rate. To hopefully I'm sorry, roll-up rate. The audience. Okay. <laughs> I said, yeah, you're right. Sorry about Roll-up rate. Um, see, there's so many terms to keep... Okay, so the, the roll-up rate um, with it. Um, so there, your contract... Um, I'll keep it very, very straightforward as an example. Let's say 
the contract says you'll get a minimum of a 5% roll-up rate on your income benefit on every year that you defer taking income, right? When you initially start your contract, uh, all your values are essentially going to be the same. If you started it with $500,000, your account value will start off at 500. Your income benefit base will start off at 500. But it'll go, let's say, one year later. So one year passes and your account was flat didn't do anything, didn't earn any, any, any credits or any kind of market return in the variable annuity or nothing. So you're still looking at a $500,000, you know, account value, your benefit base would increase by 5% because that's the minimum that they said that they would credit you on any given year. So let's say you started income at that particular moment. You said, okay, I want to start to receive my income. They're going to base the amount that they pay you off of that 500 plus 5%. So 525. Okay versus the 500 that is the account value. And so that income benefit base will, will, will never go down due to market conditions or anything. It's just going to continue to roll up by that 5% as long as you continue to defer or your account value if it ever surpasses it. It's going to be the higher of that, your account value after at the end of each year or that 5% credit. And it's just going to keep step or rolling up, excuse me, as, as you do that. Yeah, and in those past um, episodes, that... that- highest value. That's what we were calling step. That's called the step up. Yeah, (laughs) correct. So it steps up to the account value. If it, if it surpasses what that roll up uh, amount would be. Mm -hmm. And and so when you both talk about just assuming you're not going to get growth, you are allowed to get the roll up rate because that is even in the worst case scenario, part of what Mm -hmm. you receive before you turn on the lifetime income you just wouldn't want to assume you're going to achieve any step ups. You, you don't want to assume that there's going to be growth that exceeds the, the growth of the roll up rate effectively. Correct. So when you're generating your illustration and you illustrate your income start date, and let's say it's five years out, you would want to see what it would be like with just the roll ups, no step ups taken into consideration, because that essentially is what your guarantee is. That's what they're guaranteeing to you. That roll up is a guarantee. The step ups are not. So you would want to go by uh, the guarantees, uh, as we've referenced a few times um, Mm -hmm. throughout. So uh, that's what it's based off of, that income benefit. Yeah, and that it's guaranteed. It's not the contract value, which we talked about earlier, but it's the guarantee of what they'll use to then calculate your guaranteed withdrawals. And and so, Brian, the next columns are going to start digging into that. How are those guaranteed withdrawals calculated what should people be be thinking about there in particular? So uh, the important thing on the on the variables that differs from the fixed index and a couple of different other types of annuities is the way they calculate uh, your withdrawal rate. So variables tend to have a wider swath. So it might be a five-year period. So it might be, let's say, just as an example, from 45 to 50, they're going to give you, and these are just pie-out-of-the-sky numbers. There's, there's no you know, reasonable anything. No, no reason to assume these are correct. So 45 to 50, let's just say is a 5% withdrawal rate from 51 to 55 might be 5.5. And so the, the variable annuities, it's really important to understand where you are in those age bands and, uh, and try as best we can. We're obviously looking down the road uh, 10, 15, 20 years sometimes um, to plan out when we're going to turn these things on um, because you could theoretically cost yourself a lot of money by turning it on even one year earlier than hitting the next bracket um, for those withdrawal rates. So it's, uh, it, it's you know, that doesn't really work that way with the fixed index. It's a little less important um, for from year to year, but the variables, it's really, really important to understand where those um, brackets are. So it, because the later you go, and I, that pairs back to with the planning conversation is these, you know, the, the roll-up rates are typically only guaranteed for 10 years um, and those will tend to stop. So you'll get that, you know, guaranteed five, six, eight, 10%, whatever it is, um, depending on when you buy it, um, you'll get that for the first 10 years of that contract, and then that will stop. Um, so even calculating, you know, we'll, or until you turn until you turn on, correct? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. Until as long as you defer it, it would give you that 10 years. 10 years. Yeah, correct. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, looking at those things, there's there's a whole bunch of different variables that go into the planning conversation. Um, but that again is is a really important one to keep in mind when you're looking at the variables and and really, you know, figuring out when you want to turn that on. Mm-hmm. And so you've got that age-based withdrawal yep. rate that can be higher if you wait to higher ages multiplied by the, the benefit base, and that would show you the income. Exactly, yeah. And then that contract value they show you is effectively then just evolving as the returns, but less 
the assuming you take those, they do assume you take the allowed guaranteed distributions and then less fees, which we'll, we'll start to unpack those fees as well. There's probably not going to be a column on the illustration showing the fees, but the fees would be part of the, those calculations that you'll see in the illustration. And that, that's most of the columns. I mean, there can be variations from company to company, but am I missing any main key columns that I should be thinking about? Death benefit, maybe. Oh yeah, um, uh-huh. good. That, yeah, that's a very common, <laughs> a common column, and that that all that that's simply illustrating is that if you were to if all you know people entitled to income if or owners of the contract were to pass away if the contract essentially ends because the people have passed away, what benefit amount, if any, would be left to beneficiaries in any given year um, from that? Uh, that's it. That's simply it. Okay. Now, I did mention the previous episodes. I, I've learned a lot about these just by recreating those illustrations and making sure I understood all the calculations. Usually, a lot of these annuities, they have some marketing brochure that's detailed enough that it helps you understand how that illustration was created. Uh, or you may dig into the contract if necessary to see the full set of details. But there is... Well, we've talked about the illustration. Now let's shift into the the contract. And this is where, well, the illustration will show fees. So I guess we're we're not completely leaving the illustration yet. But somewhere on that illustration, it's going to show a list of fees. What kind of variable annuity fees? Um, let's and this one. Let's start with you, Brian. Like, what might we see on the <laughs> the fee list with the variable annuity? Yeah, I mean, the the variables have. It, the fees are going to be dependent on the suite of services, really. There's so many bolt-on uh, different types of riders and different types of things you can add to these annuities that are really going to dictate the overall fee. Um, but really, when you look at it just from a bare-bones perspective, you're going to have, you know, and different companies call it different things, but the M&E fee is, is usually the big one. Um, it's typically, you know, and again, depending on where you buy it and what type you're buying, um, somewhere around that 1% number. You get that fee, and then you're going to have your rider fees. So if you bolt on any kind of guarantees, those are going to have fees also. Um, and then, you know, strictly the variables are only going to have fees for the investments. Because, again, like the, the the fixed index don't have investments. The speed don't have investments per se. Um, so the variable, they're going to have a fee, which essentially gets, you know, paid to the asset managers to manage those mutual funds that are underneath the surface. So there's a whole bunch of different layers of fees in the variable um, to consider. It, and again, it, it really just depends on what the experience you're looking for, um, because those fees are charged to the market value, right? So that's the the essentially the value of that contract that's yours, quote unquote, um, that has nothing to do with the income side, that just strictly the market value to the death benefit we just talked about. Um, that's where they really start to apply those fees in the calculations. And, and that's why on an illustration, if you look at a zero rate of return, the zero rate of return page, you'll see your account value technically... Mm-hmm. go down it's mm-hmm. depreciating and it's mm-hmm. because of those fees uh as to why uh those are and the, so the writer mm-hmm. under that correct yep. in the writer fee yep it, uh, I just, all, the writer it, it varies from company to company but it may be charged on the the higher benefit base since the guaranteed income is determined by the benefit base yep correct so if you are Some trying do to understand do as well. how the illustration worked uh, you may wonder why the, in the deferral period the fee is rising, <laughs> and it's probably because the the rider is being charged off of the, the benefit base, which is rising with a roll-up rate. Yep, absolutely. But all these pieces interconnect, and at the end of the day, it is possible to to understand how these work. But of, of course, again, it is also important to work with a financial professional who has a lot of experience because when you're doing it yourself, you, everyone makes mistakes, but you don't have the chance to effectively learn from your mistakes since this is something you tend to only do one time in life. <laughs> Whereas the, the financial professional already knows the mistakes that can be made and, and knows how to avoid those and, and help to avoid that type of situation. I often, I often use uh, the example of, you know, typically you, buy and sell more homes in your life than you do annuities, you know? So it's, it's, it's a transaction you don't do very often and they change quite frequently over the years, you know, or they could change, I guess I should say. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's now move into the, we've looked at this illustration and we're convinced. So we want to move to the, the purchase stage. 
And we're going to be getting into the contract phase of the variable annuity. What should people be looking for there? And um, this could be a pretty long document. What, what's the, what's, what kind of details are in variable annuity contracts that maybe we hadn't yet seen in the illustration, uh, Jason, to start? Sure. Um, so you're going to see, which may, there's going to be some overlap uh, of what's presented in the illustration to what is actually in your contract, such as like definitions of terms. Um, that's going to take up a lot of the contract, them explaining to you what they are essentially showing you, you know, in the contract. Uh, but besides the, the normal information that you would see, like in a SPIA, like your personal information, your date of birth, you know, your, where you live, your name, the beneficiaries, again, anything like that that's been put on. Besides the normal information that would be on a, on a contract, you're going to see what the underlying investments that were initially uh, – that you initially selected when you went into the, the contract listed there. Um, you're going to see all of the different layers of fees. This is why it can become a quite, you know, thick uh, contract for variable annuities. Uh, and then again, the definition and the explanation of how the surrender works, withdrawal provisions that are within it, uh, death benefit provisions, the more kind of bells and whistles or that Brian explained that you add on, the thicker that contract is going to be, you know, over time uh, for that. Um, but then you're, you're, you will also uh, see what those bands are that Brian was explaining between the payouts. You're not going to see that on the illustration. You know, you're going to see that in the contract where it says, if you start income between this age and this age, it's this percent versus the next five years or in the five years after that. That's all present in the contract, not the illustration, just in comparison uh, for that. Yeah. And on that point too, Brian, so the, uh, we're talking about a living benefit here. So <laughs> those age-based payout rates would be linked to the living mm -hmm. benefit. But another thing you'll see in the contract that might be confusing there's probably going to be an annuitization table buried somewhere in the contract. Somewhere. What's that all about? <laughs> <laughs> um, essentially just looking at it, applying what the rates are um, at different ages. You're, you're applying that to, again, the whatever the value is, whether you're using the living benefit right or using the market value. Um, you know, if you don't have the living benefit, you're actually just using whatever the market value is on the day of the annuitization. Um, so it's two very different things. Annuitizing the contract um, mm -hmm. on a variable with no income rider is essentially the same thing. You're using an actuarial, actuarial table to figure out how much money they're going to pay you every month um, versus a, a, the living benefit rider where you have kind of a defined, you kind of can pretty much calculate where you're going to be on a worst case scenario and what they're going to give you. Um, annuitizing the contract is just a very different story. Um, you, you, they're basically giving you back your own money once you turn that on until you burn through, you know, whatever that market value was. And then from there on, they're giving you, you know, the insurance company is giving you their own money at that point um, versus a living benefit rider where, you know, it, it, it kind of gets into the weeds of where is the money actually coming from for the distributions um, and how they're calculating those things. So that's, that's very important to understand what you're actually doing when you turn these contracts on um, versus, you know, income is income is income. It's not always, it's not always like that. Yeah, yeah, and we've not talked all, about not all episodes. The same. every annuity, <laughs> every annuity can be annuitized, right. and so that contract will have these annuitization tables. And, but in practice, aside from SPIAs and DIAs, usually annuities are not being annuitized. Yeah, and, and if you're using the lifetime income, it's the living. That's income. very important too, because when Go you ahead. when you get to that point, you have to submit paperwork to turn these on. They don't just automatically turn on and start sending you checks. Like so, when you when you fill these paperwork out, when you fill the paperwork out. There are sections in there that say, are we annuitizing or are we turning on the lifetime guaranteed income stream? Like, so it's very important to even understand at that point, you know, and typically that's you when you're in your six, late 60s, 70s, and maybe even 80s when you're turning these on, you may not even understand what you're signing. And so you've paid for this living benefit rider for X amount of years, 10, 12, 15 years, and then you choose the wrong option when you go to turn it on. It, you could have a very different experience than what you're expecting. Um, so the paperwork on both the, on the front end and the back end when you turn it on, it's so important to understand. Are you looking to make sure your reliable income is, well, reliable? Schedule a call today with Jason Riscala at McLean Asset Management to review how your annuities fit into your retirement plan. To get started, go to mcleanam.com slash review. Again, that's M-C-L-E 
A-N-A-M dot com slash review. Great. And Jason, another part of that contract that probably wasn't in the illustration was the idea that fees can be changed in the future. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe they're going to have some a, details on what the maximum possible values or what information would you want to make sure you understand with regard to future changes in fees? Yes. Um, make sure that uh, one, the contract that was issued to you is in alignment with what the illustration stated was certain rider fees, you know, that are that are verifiable with the illustration. But make sure you understand what the fees could potentially go up to, because, um, again, you, you do still have this free look period with variable annuities, you know, that if things are not what you're comfortable with once the contract's issued, you can change that. You know, you can change your mind on it within that period. Um, but the the fees like the mortality and expense you know, that, that Brian was talking about, M&E, even the rider fees um, and operating expenses on the underlying funds. I mean, they're all variables. They, they can change. Will they change? That's, you know, not every company changes it every time they can, um, but they do have the ability to do so. And a lot of times that, that has to go into what had Brian was saying, um, why certain companies issue out certain SPIAs and not others. It's They have to look at their, their book of business and see what risk is on the table uh, when they're guaranteeing these. Because when they issue this contract today, they're guaranteeing you this you know, for life is what they're doing. Um, so they want the flexibility to be able to, to adjust fees uh, as needed. And they have that in the contract if you read. And it'll tell you what they can adjust them up to, like a maximum fee, uh, which generally isn't the fee that it's being issued at. Uh, I can tell you that right now. The contracts I've read today, you know, are much lower than that. But that is a variability that you do have to pay attention to and make sure that you're comfortable with because it could happen. Doesn't mean it will, but it could. Okay. Um, I just had another thing I wanted to talk about on this. What else could be in the contract? And I'm completely blanking on what that was. Mm-hmm. Uh, more details of what's in a VA. I think while you while you're thinking about that, if we step back to the application process of these, um, you do have a whole bunch of decisions to make around the actual investments that you choose, and that part of the application can get rather robust as well. Um, you know, typically there will be twenty to thirty managed funds where you have you know a, a just we're going to pick an allocation, and it's sixty forty, seventy thirty, whatever that is, and you get you know a suite of I won't say a specific asset manager, but you're going to get XYZ asset manager is going to manage every one of those funds. You can buy, you know, 10 or 12 of of that asset manager's funds versus the next asset manager. Uh, And then you can really get into the weeds too of of designing your own asset allocation. So, you know, it's not just kind of the, for the people who get into the weeds, there's a ton of variability in the variable annuity. Um, And so understanding that piece and how, how, I guess, how hands-on you want to be in designing these products um, typically, once you select that allocation, you're locked in for a certain amount of time on those. Um, so it's not for, for it's not forever, but you can change them. But you are locked in. So it's important to kind of go into these products, understanding, you know, what am I looking for from this experience? Do I want to do this on my own? Do I want to just pick an asset manager, or do I want to just pick, you know, uh, let's just the insurance company typically has their own, you know, mutual funds, their own stuff that's in there. Um, you could also choose those things. So. Um, even on the application process, you're going through, you're making a lot of very important decisions. Uh, and so it's, it's really, I guess it behooves you to do your research, understanding what's available to each one, because different annuity providers in this space will have different investments available to you. Um, so it's important to, to do your research there as well. And, and also consider the risks because you're, you don't have principal protection within variable annuities like you have within fixed mm-hmm. index annuities, FIAs. So you have to be mindful of risk, you know, um, in the VA. Absolutely. And, and thank you for saving me there, Brian. It did give me a chance to remember what I <laughs> wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Something else you need to understand in the contract. Uh, the idea of the, the free withdrawals. Now, most annuities will allow you to take out <clears throat> a certain amount without triggering surrender mm-hmm. charges. Often that's up to 10% of either the initial premium or the remaining contract value before any surrender charges are triggered. So that that's one aspect of it. But another is if there's a living benefit, 
you're allowed to take out amounts that are not lifetime distributions. So before you turn on the lifetime distributions, you could take out one of these non-lifetime distributions without turning on the benefit. And then even if you have the benefit turned on, you are allowed to take out more than the guaranteed withdrawal amount. But whenever you do that, there's going to be an adjustment to the benefit base to reduce your subsequent guaranteed income, which, which is logical. Just think if I'm spending for my investment portfolio and I take out more than I was planning, I'm going to have to adjust my spending in the future because of that. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about what that might look like, uh, Jason, in terms of what to be looking for just in the case that you do need liquidity, that you do need to take out more than the guaranteed withdrawal amount do you understand how sure. your subsequent guarantee would be impacted? Um, yes. So uh, because these are not, when you go into them, they're not annuitized, right? So you do have some value uh, accessible to you uh, with them. Um, and to avoid a surrender charge, a surrender charge only comes into play when you take out more than this free withdrawal amount. Let's let's say 10% because um, that's, that's average, that's common. Um, or you cancel the contract entirely. If you're just taking out that 10% free free withdrawal amount, they call it free withdrawal because there is no surrender charge associated with it. Um, so if you put in $100,000 and you know six months later you need to take out some money from it, $10,000, 10%, there you go. This, the details about when that is allowed and what that 10% is based off of can vary from firm to firm or, or carrier to carrier, product to product even. Yeah. Uh, so some allow you to take that 10% within the first contract year. Some make you wait one full contract year. Some base it off of the market value. Some base it off of the initial premium You know that you put into it. it. It can have some variability around what is that based off of. So that's important to understand. If that's something that is, is of a concern to you or something that you think you may need to utilize at some point, um, then you would want to understand the details around what is that 10% based off of and how often can you get it if you need it. And then ultimately, also, as, as Wade had said, what is the effects of taking it out? Not just on the market value, but on your income benefit that ideally is what you got into this annuity for, you know, for the income benefit that it provides. <laughs> so does it affect it dollar for dollar? You know, is it just a... a a, a reduction of a certain amount of it is it you know understanding how that affects the income benefit is also very important which is explained in the in the contract when you get it uh, so when you get the contract and you read through that make sure you read through that section carefully and again it can be different from contract to contract carrier to carrier there's no blind kind of uh, way that those things run um, it's how the product was designed so it is something to very much to pay attention to yep Great. And so that's what I had on my list to talk about with variable annuities. Can either of you think of any important details? I would just add one <laughs> thought to that. Um, we talked last time about, in our last episode, about the, the importance of choosing carriers. The variable annuity and the, to an extent the fixed index annuity, but the variable annuity especially, you want to understand who you're getting in, into bed with. Um, there are really great companies out there that will provide amazing service. And this is one of those examples where you're going to need to be able to get in touch with the carrier to, to understand things and have someone really explain them to you. And there are some companies out there that have really horrible customer service that you can call and never get in touch with anyone. You're going to get you know in touch with a call center somewhere. Um, so choosing a variable annuity carrier is very important um, for this very reason, right? So if you decide the planning fails, things went wrong, I need to get money out of this, it's very, very important to call the carrier and have them rerun your illustration with this new uh, withdrawal to show you exactly what happens to the income. Because that's, I mean, ultimately, we're not buying this for the market value. We're buying it for the income benefits. And so taking money out of the mm -hmm. market value has a very, very negative effect on the income stream, right? So being able to get in touch with your carrier, having them you know, run illustrations and run multiple illustrations. If, if it's, you know, 5% or up to 10%, show me what that looks like. What does that do to my income stream? And it, you know, again, choosing the carrier in this spot that's going to be there for you when you need them is vitally important because you don't want to make these decisions just off the cuff. You want to see what it's actually going to do. Absolutely. Great point. Thank you. Let's move into the fixed index annuity world, which... We'll have a lot of overlap with what we've been talking about. It's a lot of the same terminology and so forth. 
but also some differences. And again, I hope we can talk a little bit about what a fixed index annuity illustrations looking like and also any anything to pay attention to with the contracts as well. So fixed index annuities, we've already talked about in past episodes, they have some sort of crediting method, principal protection, and then some exposure to participate in market upside. Uh, Jason, there's going to be a lot of crediting options or even indices and crediting options to choose from. And you may even be able to allocate between different options. So when you see that illustration, I guess a good place to start with the fixed index annuity is what do you want to look for in terms of what are they illustrating for you? What, which indices did they choose? Which crediting options did they choose? Which term did they use? And what to, what are people going to be looking for with that particular aspect as a starting point? Sure. So um, like the variable annuity, it's it's imperative to get a, a zero return you know, scenario uh, within your illustration. That way you see, again, what that minimum guarantee is under a worst case scenario. What's that minimum income amount I'm going to receive if this thing doesn't earn a dollar, you know, the entire term? Um, and then from there, um, you'll you'll you can back into again setting either flat rates of return, an average rate of return um, to it to see what would happen under certain growth assumptions. But there's going to be usually a more limited um, selection of underlying. I, I don't want to use the word investments because they're not really investments. Indexes to choose from, if you will. Um, than the variable annuity offers, um, and in this case, as, as Brian had mentioned. Um, before that you're not actually invested in these options, physically invested in them, like you are in the variable annuity. The credit, the credit that you receive is based off of the growth of these, uh, these underlying indexes. And there's generally two different ways that they can illustrate that. Um, it's by a cap rate or participation rate. And it's those two methods that they use. The cap rate is basically... If you pick, a, let's say, an S&P 500 index to, to model your crediting after, basically your growth is based on what the S&P 500 does, and you pick a cap rate, well, you're going to get what the S&P does up to that cap. So if that cap's 5%, you'll get 5% if it, if it earned 5%. Okay? If it earned 6%, you're still getting 5 That's the way that that cap rate works. Uh, so you'll get whatever the growth is up to whatever that cap is. The participation rate is different. You're you're going to participate participate in what the S and P 500 does up to a certain percentage. Let's say that percentage is 30. percent That means that if the S and P 500 actually performed 10 percent that crediting price period, returns. let's just assume it's. I'm, I'm sorry, we price return. That, yeah, and we said that a lot in the past episodes, but it's always something that <laughs> it's not the total return; it's the price return. Correct sorry, price ahead, returns. <laughs> no, no, no. The 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 it devil's is. in the details, so that is important. Yes, <laughs> with these. Um, so yes, the price returns ten percent. You'll get credited with three percent, thirty percent of that ten percent. So caps are what you can earn up to, but nothing above. Participation, you know, essentially is you're going to get just a piece of what it does uh, overall. And then there's different terms that you can choose: one year, two year, three year terms. So sometimes you could see, and this is all in the illustration, depending on what it is. So pay attention to what they're illustrating to you. You may see an illustration that shows you some returns, you know, not the negative or not the negative, not the zero rate of return, but maybe some 5% average rate of return. And you'll see that it's every three years that it's doing something within the account value. Um, that's a three year participate, you know, strat uh, strategy term is what they call it. And you can choose one, two, or three. Again, going through all these options and which is the best one to choose, I mean, is very dependent on your personal feelings around things. If, are you optimistic about the market? Do you prefer caps? Should you choose the S&P index, another one? Should you choose a one-year or a three-year term? I mean, these are all important decisions um, for it. And this is where, again, working with, with a professional agent can help with what is the best ultimate decision to choose from. Uh, to help uh, align my my underlying um, you know strategies uh, with mm -hmm. it's a lot of terminology. It's it's hard to kind of explain again you know without the illustration in front of you. But uh, as you can see, there's many options. So making sure you understand what they are and what is being presented to you is of the utmost importance. 
And one point to emphasize with what you said too, like if you have a two-year term to keep it more simple, it may look strange until you really understand the point, but you'll see the, an odd number of years, you're, credit, you're always credited with 0%. And mm-hmm. then in the, the even number of years, you're credited with, <laughs> that's when you receive the crediting at the end of the second year in a two-year term. And so that crediting you receive in year two isn't just based on the year two return. It's based on the cumulative performance of the first two mm-hmm. years. And that's an important detail. And then, Brian, I, I asked you about this in the context of variable annuities before, but it's probably even more relevant with the fixed index annuity. Uh, in the scenario where you are looking to take out more than the free withdrawal, if you're not going to hold this contract over the long term in the early years of the contracts, and it's only in those early years, and we talked about somewhere maybe five to 10 years, uh, the uh, withdrawal amount may be less than the contract value due to the surrender charges and or market value adjustments. Could you refresh us since that was in the last episode? And it's particularly relevant with the fixed index annuity, what what those two factors are all about. It is. And I, I think it's important to call out, these are, to your point, these are long-term investment vehicles. Um, if you're taking these opportunities to take money out, it's because something bad happened. Um, there was, you know, the, the plan went wrong or there was a cash need or something that wasn't foreseen popped up um, because it's, it's rarely advantageous to, to start pulling money out of these contracts before you turn them on, just as the, the kind of caveat there. Um, the, the adjustments happen when markets move around, right? So it, the, the market value adjustment is, is in the first, let's just say it's 10 years. We have a 10 year surrender period somewhere in that first 10 years, we need, you know, to take out that 10% free look. So we're going to pull that 10% of the value of the market value out. Um, the insurers will go in and adjust that for rates because ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, this is a fixed product. It's a fixed rate of return. Um, a part of that return stream is based on what they're going to give you in that fixed, fixed interest rate on the contract. And that's labeled in the illustration. It's in the contract. It tells you kind of where it is. Um, that does float around. So as interest rates go up and down in, in the real world, um, that has a, a negative effect on the actual day-to-day quote-unquote value of that contract. If you were to pull money out of it, they're going to go in and adjust it for um, where interest rates have gone up or down. Rates go down. They are going to adjust it up. Rates go up. They're going to adjust it down. Right? Same same kind of math as as fixed in, uh, fixed income works in the real world. Rates up, price down. Um, so that's the adjustment. That's the, you know very very important to, to pay attention to. And again, this kind of the the last last place you really want to go for liquidity purposes is these you know annuity contracts because again you you are going to get negatively affected by taking money out. And and one point to say here, and when I say this, it's going to make me sound like I'm an annuity salesperson or something, but it's a a valid point that if you're pretty sure you're going to be a long-term holder of a fixed index annuity, you might actually prefer having a higher surrender charge schedule because that's just creating more ability for the insurance company to buy less liquid, longer duration potentially higher yielding type uh, investments to give you a better performance. Now, if you end up needing to take more than the free withdrawal out, you you might feel bad about picking the higher surrender charge schedule. But again, for those who are going to hold these over the long term and are using them for living benefits, which implies a lifetime relationship here, uh, surrender charges, especially in the context of a fixed index annuity, are, are not necessarily a negative. They they can, and this is where I can, don't mean to sound like a salesperson, but it's just they can, set, mm-hmm. they can be a positive to the owner of the contract over the long term because you're not going to be affected by the surrender charges and it's giving the insurance company more flexibility to go into higher yielding type investments with the uh, premiums. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point too. When you're, when you're evaluating the, the insurance companies you're going to purchase these contracts from is look at their look at their general account, look at their investment performance. I mean, that's, that's all public knowledge of kind of how they're doing and, and the way they invest their money. Um, you know, the, the more aggressive the company, the more likely things are going to go wrong. Um, and there are, you know, really, really reputable companies out there that have a great credit rating. And part of that, you know, credit rating is their, the performance of their, their side account, their, their general account. Um, and so those are all things that, that kind of go into the calculus of, who you choose to, to, I mean, again, this is a lifelong commitment to this company. 
So it's important to understand how they're going to invest, how that, you know, ultimately how they're going to pay you these guarantees, because that's what these are. They're the guarantees of the insurer to pay you back this money for the rest of your life. Are you looking to make sure your reliable income is, well, reliable? Schedule a call today with Jason Riscala at McLean Asset Management to review how your annuities fit into your retirement plan. To get started, go to mclaanam.com slash review. Again, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M.com slash review. Mm-hmm. And, and now with these contracts, so fixed index annuities, it's probably rare to see a benefit base, but nonetheless... There, if you have a guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit, there's going to be some columns on the illustration mm-hmm. that are showing how that works. And, well, Brian, you've talked about with the VA, it's very similar. It's the, an age-based set of payout rates multiplied by, in this context, the contract value, but which is principal protected, at least gross of any rider fee that may be part of the contract. And... It could go, or you want, so you want to understand that detail. And then if the illustration is showing any sort of increases in that guaranteed income, you want to understand why. And also to the point both of you made, it's often the case with fixed index annuities that there's even a stronger case to be made for assuming there is no growth beyond what's guaranteed, especially if the cap rate isn't high enough to offset the distributions that are allowed you're never going to get any step-ups. Correct. Uh, but, but the way that withdrawal rate might work is you're going to take that age-based factor and multiply it by the contract value, which with enough growth could increase over time. Mm-hmm. But once you start taking distributions, it becomes a real slog to uh, have that contract value still increase <clears throat> net of distributions. Yep. And the... the- Jason, I saw you. Oh, no, I was just going to say the, the <laughs> illustrations for fixed index annuities are, are pretty clean for the most part across the industry. I mean, you, you typically have on one one page, you get, you know, to your point, the, the payout rate. It shows you age to age and it'll give you a range. You know, if you illustrate this to take out money in the eighth year, they'll start with, you know, that year and they'll show you, you know, the next sequential 10 years and what that payout rate is. Um, it's not nearly the, the dramatic changes like you get in the variables. Um, and you'll have a guaranteed column, you'll have a non-guaranteed column. So you can kind of pick and choose, you know, how you want to illustrate that across that one page, which is, you know, very, very simple. It's very, very easy to understand. You apply your payout rate to, to the guaranteed base or the non-guaranteed base, and you can kind of see what the, what the differences are. It's, it's very clean. It's very easy. Um, the underlying and the way you get the crediting and all the things are very, very complicated. Um, but the illustrations are usually pretty clean and pretty easy to follow along. Mm-hmm. So now moving into the contract, again, we've, we've looked at the illustration, we've decided to move forward. We're going to at some point here in this process receive a contract for the fixed index annuity. Uh, part of this is a refresher because a lot of the things are the same, but you know, what do you want to be looking for in that contract? And then we can also talk about what are some unique aspects of the fixed index annuity in the contract as well. But, but Jason... Let me turn to you for that. Like when you receive the contract regarding the fixed index annuity, what sort of features should you be checking in that contract? Sure. Um, just as I said about the previous ones, make sure all your personal information is correct on it. Um, always, always needs to be the case. Uh, beneficiaries are correct. Premium amounts credited were the amount that you provided to them. One important uh, factor is the structure. And this is actually true of all, all of them. You know, just paying attention to the FIA right now is some when you're choosing uh, living benefits, you know, withdrawal benefits, when you're choosing those kind of benefits, how you structure the contract, as Brian actually had said earlier, um, the carriers, some carriers have a specific way. There are some policies that are owner driven, some that are annuitant driven, and you have to know this and how you're structuring the account, especially if there's joint lives being covered, you know, and then the titling of it whether it's a trust, individually owned, IRA owned, you know, has also to do with it. So making sure that that begins at the application process with the agent that you're working with, making sure that that is, uh, and even sometimes that information isn't clear, you know, when getting it directly from the insurance carrier, it it happens. Um, But that the contract is reflecting what 
the application ultimately said, which was the correct way to structure it. That is very important because that determines how your benefits and for how long and who your benefits can be received by. So making sure that's all aligned with what is appropriate. And your agent should be, re, you know, reviewing the contract before before delivering it to you to make sure of that. I mean, that's a, that's a, a role to make sure that that all was what it should be, you know, when it's given to you. Um, but beyond just your personal information, making sure that the structure is appropriate, um, and then also that any income riders or any riders, it could be death benefit riders, anything like that, that you did elect is reflected in the contract. Um, and again, that the fee that was presented to you for those at the onset of the contract is what was presented there. Uh, as well. Mm -hmm. And then maybe one of the factors, Brian, in the the contract that would be the sort of the section on the the minimum interest rates, or just more generally saying that an FIA is principal protected, it's true, but it's a little bit of a simplification around how the, the process truly works with regard to the interaction of surrender charges and so forth. But, uh, can you talk a little bit about, this whole idea of a minimum interest rate as part of the contract and how that might start less than the premium, but by the time the surrender charge schedule ends, could end up, if you decide to leave the contract at some point in the future, you might have slightly more than the principal protected based on what that minimum interest rate is. Sure. Um, yeah, and that's in the very back <laughs> of the uh, the contracts where they show you all the fun numbers. <laughs> the last few pages. It is. Um, <laughs> And it does. It, does. it Every one of these contracts has a minimum interest rate that they will credit you every year. So the longer you hold it, I mean, it's, you know, it's typically, I, I, Jason, have you ever seen one below 1%? I mean, it's typically right around that 1% number. No. Um, yeah. Yep. It's about typical. You know, again, it's, you're not buying these things because they're going to run through the roof with, with amazing growth. Um, you're buying them for the, the guaranteed things that go into them. Um, so that it does, it does have a guaranteed interest rate. The longer you hold it, you are, you know, guaranteed, uh, some price appreciation. Um, again, that's not why we're buying these. It's not, you know, it's not like you're buying a 30 year treasury where you're going to get, you know, whatever, I don't even know where the curve is right now, two and a half, three percent on the long end. Um, and that's going to just accumulate over time. Um, you are going to get a very, very low interest rate because, you know, again, if you look at it from the other side of the table, the insurance company is essentially guaranteeing you these payments well beyond any money you've put into it. If you live to be 140, they're still on the hook for those payments when you're 140 years old. You know, obviously the the actuarial tables and everything don't go nearly that far. Um, so, you know, for that protection, they're going to say, okay, well, yeah, you know, bond interest is 5%. We're going to give you a guaranteed one. You know, that's the Delta. That's where we're going to make our money. That's where we're going to do our thing for, you know, giving you these, these opportunities to have this money, you know, for longevity protection. That's ultimately why we're buying this is if I outlive all the projections, I still have this guaranteed income and who's, you know, who foots the bill for that. It's the insurance company. Yeah. And, and especially with the fixed index annuity, if you're using it for the living benefit, you can be pretty much rest assured that you're going to spend down the entire contract. Value. Absolutely. It's not, you're just, it's, it's going to work a lot like a, a SPIA with a cash refund in terms of you might do a little Absolutely. bit better than a SPIA with a cash mm-hmm. refund. But by the time you're getting to life expectancies, you should anticipate the contract value will be gone. So if you have this planning age of, I want my financial plan to work into my nineties, there is not going to be anything left. And so at the end of the day, the, the evolution of the contract value is not all that important or relevant. It's much more what that guaranteed withdrawal amount is because that number does continue after the contract value is depleted. And I I suppose it is worth emphasizing that point. And that's sometimes these get used for as accumulation tools, but when you're using it for income, you want to focus on the withdrawals. You you also have uh, an exclusion ratio with those on the taxable side too, um, as well. But all but the taxation of it is not as predictable as it is with a SPIA, because you you know there is growth potential and things like that. So the predictability of the taxable portion of payments is less in a in a FIA than it is in a SPIA. Mm-hmm. Just keep that in mind too. Sometimes I've I have seen one or two illustrations where that's actually illustrated you know, uh, in a way, not common. You're not going to see that too common, but I have seen that before on some odd, odd ones. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, it's more complicated. Just gains come yes. out first, and then your premium, and then once you've exhausted the premium, it's all gains after that point. And that's when, the, by that point, you're you're in that settlement phase you're where you're getting that guaranteed yeah. lifetime income. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, that's. I think we've covered most everything I was thinking to do with fixed index annuities. Any last thoughts from either of you on the fixed index annuity topic? No, I mean, they, they're appealing to a lot of folks because they do offer principal protection, yet a potential potential for upside um, growth of income um, and, and give a lot of predictability there. So they, they are – they can be oftentimes a, a popular option for folks to kind of gravitate towards um, because they offer you some of the – you know, some of the benefits of a SPIA, which is like predictability, some of it of a VA, which is like growth potential. You know, it's kind of – some people view it as like an in-between the two you know, option that you could go with. And a lot of insurance companies have been putting a lot of resources into, into FIAs recently. You'll see kind of where they see the market going by what resources and what options are available out there. I would say that in my experience, the FIA market has drastically improved over the past 10 or so years. You know, the options that are available, the features available uh, has gotten better uh, over the years. Yeah, you know, just my opinion of, of actually working with these things for the past, you know, 15, 17 years. And then another question this brings up for me. So there is an anomaly where sometimes FIAs can have higher payout rates with the living benefits. The living benefit on a fixed index yes. annuity mm-hmm. could be higher than an equivalent SPIA or deferred income annuity. Have you been seeing that recently where that anomaly is out there right now? And if so, we should probably mention just briefly why that happens. Although I, it, implicitly it came up earlier in the conversation. But uh, right now, do we, are you seeing that very often? Uh, I, can, yeah. I can go with that. I've seen a lot, of, yeah, a lot of illustrations. I would say that from a comparison between an FIA and a SPIA, so fixed index annuity to a SPIA, the immediate payout, if you were to start income immediately, is not that far off from each other. There is a slight reduction on the fixed index annuity side versus the SPIA, but it's it's almost negligible at that point. Uh, the longer what I've seen in today's market, you know, uh, which is what we're looking at today, um, the FIAs, if you're deferring income, seem to be for the most part surpassing what the SPIAs are willing to offer for. For deferral even. So if you're looking three, four, five, six years out, you're going to most likely find a better uh, better option with the uh, fixed index annuities than you will the SPIAs right now. Mm-hmm. This wasn't the case last year. You know, last year wasn't the case with that. The SPIAs were offering a better immediate payout. And in some cases, you know, under the shorter duration terms, a better payout. But the market has flipped. I mean, the, they're, these are heavily uh, weighted on interest rate environments and where they're at. Again, where where the insurance companies see that they have room to be able to offer more payouts and higher benefits under certain products rather than others. And uh, that's all reflective into the essential price that you pay for the income that you're getting. And right now, FIA seem to be doing a, a really good job of, if not matching, surpassing what the SPIAs are giving. Okay. And that's Brian, something that theoretically, you that. No, I've, I've seen it. theoretically shouldn't be the case. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it as short as 12 months. But <laughs> yeah, if, if you have 12 months to defer a lot, I mean, one, I'm thinking of one very specific contract. Um, the 12 month deferral is beating SP at this point using the fixed index annuity. Yeah. So, I mean, that's very, go. very short term. That's as short as yeah, 12 months. That, it, it, it's, and that, that kind of hammers home the point. I mean, I, don't, I, I believe it was the other episode we talked about this, but it's so important to be able to have someone in your back pocket to go into the market and really evaluate all these different types of mm-hmm. products. Because, I mean, there's such variations in the, the, the principal values, the, the timing of the income, the different types of products. It, it, I mean, it, on, even on a day-to-day basis, I mean, they, these carriers are so fast and they all adjust to your point, Jason, about the interest rates. They, as the rates change, I mean, I guarantee even today, you know, we got a 25 basis point hike yesterday. I guarantee you there's different contracts and different payouts, and they've already readjusted everything for contracts that you get illustrations on today versus yesterday and the day before. Um, so it's a, it's a fluid environment. There's no like one size fits all where this is always going to win or that's always going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so important just to get the quotes, get do your research, understand what you're doing, um, and then really go out there and figure out what the best way to do the, the one thing you're trying to implement today, how do we best do that? 
can I add something Please. to that too? Uh, we find this a lot in the planning engagements we have is when we are recommending, you know, annuity strategies, uh, oftentimes the question will come up, well, should I wait, right, to implement this? Like market, you know, like market time exactly. in a way, um, you know, uh, you know, I and and our philosophy on that is that if the numbers work today with what's available with you today, you should move forward today. You shouldn't wait to see if it gets better because it could get worse. And what we do know is that today's numbers work for you. The interest rate that they're paying today, the premium you have to give up to get the income that you need all fits your plan you should move forward today. Implementing today is better than implementing tomorrow and hoping that it's a better situation. You know, hope is not a plan at all. And so you, you just want to go with, with, just as Brian had just said, you know, if it works today, move forward, you know, and hey, interest rates could go up three months from now, a month from now, you know, we don't know, but you can't really base it off of that. You have to base off of what we do know today. And you also don't always get the the expected experience. I mean, if you're looking at trying to uh, from an interest rate play, if you're looking at interest rates going, okay, well, interest rates are going to be higher. The SPIA is going to pay me higher tomorrow or next week or next month, whatever that whatever it is you're trying to, to game out. Might not. You might get the expected interest rate experience and not get the expected experience from the the annuity contracts. It just it's not an intuitive one to one ratio where rates go up, payouts go up. It doesn't mm -hmm. always work that way. I mean, these these companies, you know, we, we kind of went into this uh, earlier is they're, they're protecting their own books of business. They're looking inside themselves going, okay, where do I want this exposure? Um, and so even if you are correct in your gamble of rates are higher, rates are lower, markets up, markets down, whatever, it may not translate into the experience you're expecting with these annuity uh, illustrations. It just doesn't always work that way. So to your point, Jason, if you get something that works inside your Perfect. plan today, yeah. let's lock it in and go because you don't know what tomorrow is going to do. Even if you're yeah. right, you don't know what tomorrow is going to do. That's correct. And that locking in that commitment to a strategy is a, a preference we see with those income protection and, and risk grab styles. Mm -hmm. But I, I think this is a great place to just remind listeners again, if they are interested to talk to either of you or anyone else at McLean Asset Management, either on the topic of pursuing a particular annuity or any other financial planning questions, what's the best way to get in touch with an advisor? If you go to the uh, McLean website, so our homepage, uh, which is McLeanAM.com, M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M.com, you'll see on the right-hand top corner a Get Started button. If you click that button, you just fill out some quick information. Usually it's your name and contact information, email or phone number. And you're, and you're able to include a message there too as well. Um, and you can specifically ask to speak to Brian or myself uh, if, if you would prefer to speak to one of us uh, directly. Uh, and then that our team will get it, give it to, to Brian or myself, and we'll follow up with you and be happy to answer any questions you have. Awesome. Thank you again so much to both of you for joining us in these past two episodes. I hope this helps uh, cut through a lot of the, the fog and confusion that exists out there with annuities to just, these are contracts, these are illustrations that a lot of times people just throw up their hands and say, it's, it's too much. I, I don't want to even think about this, but it's not insurmountable. Definitely talking with either of you can, can help anyone through that process who may be interested in at least learning more about annuities or, or again, any other aspect of financial planning as well. So thank you both. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll catch you next time on Retire with Style. Thanks again, <clears throat> Jason and Brian from McLean Asset Management. Thank you, Wade. Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.